sometimes uh, I get a message and it requires faith for me to believe that it's inspired. I pray, I ask the Lord, what is it that you want to say? And um, oftentimes it doesn't come till the very last minute. But I believe by faith that it's inspired of the Lord. One time I had no inspiration and we didn't have a message because I didn't feel like anything he'd given me was inspired. So we just didn't. Today, that's why I had you pray for us. I, I don't need faith to know that this message is inspired. Um, last week, we're talking about roles, for those of you that weren't here last week. We're talking about the role of a man and a woman, of a husband and a wife. We started on Father's Day with what it means for a man to be a man, truly a godly man, walking in the teaching that Jesus Christ would give us, disciples, not just converts, but disciples. So we talked about that there's an order, right? And we see it. We wanted to talk from the Old Testament last week. We're going to talk from the New Testament this week. We see it in both Testaments. It's not something new. It's from the very beginning. We read our scriptures out of Genesis last week. And that order is that God the Father is the head of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of man. And man is the head of woman. Okay? This order is prescribed by God. It's the way things work right. If we walk in that order, things are how they're supposed to be. We talked about Adam and Eve and how um, God looked at Adam. He saw all the, the creation that he'd made and everything was good. But then he looked at Adam and he saw that something wasn't good. And, and it wasn't that there was a flaw in Adam, but Adam was alone. And it wasn't good that he was alone. So he puts Adam to sleep, and he reaches in and takes a, a rib or a chunk of rib out, and from that rib, he fashions Eve. And the scriptures teach us that Eve was a comparable, suitable helper for Adam. So as God created Eve from Adam, he made her comparable. That means that you could look at Adam and you could compare him to Eve or look at Eve and compare her to Adam and see that they are similar. You wouldn't look at them and see Adam as being like this and Eve being like this or Eve being like this and Adam being like this because God created her a comparable helper to Adam. Also, he created her suitable to Adam, which means that once God had taken and separated that part of his flesh and made this new creation from it, the creation that he made was perfectly suited for its purpose. So whatever now Adam is lacking, beginning with fellowship, with someone to be his partner, his helper, he now has completely in the person of Eve because God created her not only comparable to him but suitable to him in every way. And we extended that to believe that Adam would then be suitable for every need that Eve would have from a husband and Eve for Adam as a wife. We learned that the, the woman's role is to come alongside the man as helper and that the man's role is to lead, that God gives vision to the man, he provides the woman as a helper, but he also provides for the man accountability to the vision. So the accountability for God's purpose in a husband's life, or a husband and a wife's life, their walk, their purpose that God's given them, is his responsibility, hers is to help. Okay, That's a quick review. Old Testament last week. We'll speak from the New Testament this week, and I'm going to read you a, a lot of scripture. You should feel good about that, right? A lot of scripture and, and a little explanation of the scriptures. They're pretty straightforward scriptures. You won't need a lot of explanation. And at the end, we promise you that we would talk about the how. 
it's one thing to say, this is what you're supposed to do, but most everybody's not doing it. So we need to touch on the how a little bit, okay? All right, so let me paint a little quick mental picture for you. If you've ever seen a two-seated bike, right, a bicycle that's got um, one set of handlebars in the front, another set of handlebars in the back, a seat up here and a seat back here, and you see a man and a woman riding on that bike, if you've seen it a hundred times, either a hundred times you've seen the man sitting in the front and the lady sitting in the back, or maybe one time it's been backwards. But you always see the man in the front and the lady in the back. And on that bike, there's two sets of handlebars, but only one, one of them's just to hold on. Because the person in the back doesn't know exactly where the person in the front's going to take them, so they need something to hold on to. But the one in the front has handlebars that move, right? So let that be your mental picture, kind of this relationship between husbands and wives with the man on the front of this two-seated bike and the wife on the back of this two-seated bike as they go through life accomplishing the purposes that God has prepared for them in his will. All right, we're going to start our scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 22 through 33. But I'm going to catch my breath first. I forget to breathe and talk at the same time. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. I just had a funny thought when I was putting this together. I'm like, you know, it would be so much harder for women if they had to be subject to every husband. One husband is enough to be subject to, so you only have to be subject to your own husband. If some other husband comes and says, be subject to me, you say no, because I only have to be subject to my own husband. Thank God for his wisdom. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives. See, you only have to love your own wife, husband. You don't have to put three seats on the bike or four seats on the bike, just one seat in the front, one seat in the back. You love your own wife. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father, and a mother shall be joined for this reason, a man shall leave his father, and a mother shall be joined to his wife. Boy, that sure doesn't sound right, does it? Well, <laughs> and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So just a couple things I want to touch on in this course of Scripture. First, as a man, as a husband... It's my responsibility. It's my God-given order. When he gave me my wife, when I stood before him and I created this covenant between myself and her under him that I was to love her as Jesus loved the church to the point of giving myself up for her. That's a very, very high calling for a man. We have to understand, and we talked about this, uh, I think it was on Father's Day, that you can't even begin to speak the verse that says, wives be subject to your husbands until you are prepared to love your wife as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. That needs to be the way your mind thinks about your wife. She's a gift from heaven for you. Your responsibility is to love her like Jesus loved the church. If, if that's unclear, then read the Gospels and see the price that Jesus paid, that at some point he might be 
given unto himself this spot-free, wrinkle-free church as a bride. Second thing, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. I, I spend as little time as possible in front of a mirror because there's a lot about my body from an aesthetic perspective that I don't really love that much. But that's not what God's talking about. He's talking about this love that, that you would have for yourself. It's, he says that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. If we don't love ourselves first, if we know not love for ourselves, godly love, it's very difficult, maybe impossible that we would love our neighbors. We have to love our wives in that same fashion. Men have to love their wives as their own bodies. And the third thing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify this with maybe. Okay, so I, I'm not speaking this as doctrine. I'm speaking this as, as kind of what I think from reading Scripture and seeing the whole picture that's, that, that Scripture paints for us. But what if when God created Adam, he was perfect for his purpose? He was perfect in every way to accomplish what it was that God had him to accomplish. But the problem was he was alone, right? All these creatures that Adam was given the task of naming, he named them all. They came in pairs, you know, a he creature and a she creature. But for Adam, it was just himself. The, the thing that wasn't good was that Adam was alone. But I think maybe he was perfect for his purpose in God. But then God put him to sleep, and he took from Adam a piece of Adam. And from that piece of Adam, he fashioned Eve and created this, this being, this comparable, suitable helper. But maybe now, Adam is no longer complete, having everything that he needs to fulfill God's purposes through him. And, and he didn't take all of Adam. He didn't lay him on the copy machine, push the button, and Xerox Adam. He took a piece of Adam. And he fashioned Eve from this part of Adam that's no longer in Adam anymore. So maybe the, the part that's less than complete from Adam is the part that God took and put it into Eve. And when he says the two will become one flesh, when Teresa and I become a married, in God, in covenant, proper relationship to the Lord, obeying his commands and his purposes, it's like Adam when he was first wired together, when he was first formed out of the dust of the ground. So when he says, and they shall be one flesh, honestly, I think that he's telling us that he, 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 he puts us back together in this spiritual one flesh so that now together is the way that we accomplish his purposes. Separated, outside of the, the proper context of Scripture, we're incomplete. It's only as that one flesh, that, that re-engineered one flesh, that we can fully accomplish the work that he's given us to do. That's a maybe, but honestly, I think it, you could read scripture and come to that conclusion very, very easily. Okay, some more scripture for you. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. Before I read, for the purposes of any relationship, the Bible, the New Testament, is full of scriptures that will help you. Consider others more important than yourself. That's a general relationship scripture, that if you, if you do that scripture, you will have good relationships. Love your neighbor as yourself is a general relationship scripture. For the context of husband and wife, they work great. I'm not going to talk about those today. I'm going to only reference for you specifically scriptures that speak to husbands and wives. But understand that all the relationship scriptures, we need to practice them in every relationship and 
if a husband and a wife practice them together, then the relationship's going to be great. You cannot do what God says and not get the benefits that God promises. Okay, Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. There was a time I was reading Colossians, and I read past this scripture, and and I always, it, it's just the way I am. I'm, I don't understand it completely. If you were here last week, we talked about, you know, three ways to motivate, kind of the carrot, the stick, and obligation. And I'm, I'm kind of the obligation guy. If I know that I have to do it because, in my case, I, I call Jesus Lord, then I'm obligated to do. So that, that's just how I'm wired. So when I read the scriptures, I never, I never highlight the ones that say, wives, be subject to your husbands. I always see the ones where my obligation exists. But one day I was reading this scripture, and... The word embittered kind of jumped off the page at me. So I started to ponder the scripture and I started to pray and ask, Lord, are you trying to speak to me here? And the sense that I got was that Teresa and I are different, right? She's taken from me, but whatever God took, you know, maybe that was my, my feminine chunk that, you know, before I had it all, male and female, I don't know. But the part that she has, honestly, we've been, be 32 years, right? We'll be married 32 years. We met probably um, a year or so before that. So 33 years together. I love her like crazy. I mean, she's the most wonderful wife ever. But I don't understand her this much. And sometimes in the process of not understanding her, I get bitter towards her. I really do. So, so I think maybe men, what God is trying to tell us is that you have to have a certain grace. And my guess is that Teresa probably understands me perfectly because I'm so easy to understand and, you know, I don't have any quirks or any weird stuff. But for men on the other side, it's different. <laughs> Not true. There's a tremendous amount of grace that she requires to be married to me for 32 years. Amen. That or a, <laughs> that or a frontal lobotomy, whichever you want is fine, but... But what I think the Lord was saying is that you have to understand that you're not going to understand. And in your not understanding, don't become embittered towards your wife. It doesn't matter that, that she's got a problem and you know how to fix it. And when you tell her how to fix it, she doesn't receive it. She just wants to, you to hear her talk about her problem. I don't understand that. If it's a problem, let's kill it, right? Bam, it's a done problem. Let's move on to the next problem or let's just be happy. But that's just different. They're different. So I think what God's trying to tell us men is that we are not going to understand everything. And in our lack of understanding, don't allow that to take you towards bitterness. Because I've had that happen to me. I get mad and frustrated over things that, over 32 years, I should have just figured out, let it go, right? Don't be embittered to your wives. All right, next, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Um, some of you, like one of the biggest problems that the church has is that wives come to church and husbands don't. Wives are saved and husbands are not saved. And the husband is supposed to be the head. And so here you have this poor wife who's trying to figure out how to have a godly home unequally yoked. But God says that by your chaste and respectful behavior, that your husband can be one to the Lord. It, it says someplace else that he's actually sanctified by your salvation, by your position in Christ. He's, he's sanctified. Your children are sanctified by your position in Christ. So if you're a woman, a wife, with an unbelieving, not-serving-God husband, 
your chaste and respectful behavior, and, and you can read the rest of First Peter there, there's a whole bunch more that he talks about, will win your husband to the Lord. And I know that's true because when Teresa got saved, I didn't want anything to do with church. I never went to church my whole life. I thought it was a, just a big old money-grubbing kind of whatever it was, and she gets saved. Every Sunday morning she goes to church. Every Sunday she goes, I don't want to hear about it. I'm glad you're happy. But I started to notice very quickly that Teresa was a different person. And she was a great wife before she got saved, but she was a way better wife afterwards. And living with my wife got a whole lot better because she went to church. She never, ever pestered me to come to church. She never told me what they talked about. She did put a Christian CD in the car player one time, and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, cult music, here we go. <laughs> but her change in behavior was attractive to me to cause me to go. And the first time I went, I, I never missed a Sunday. I didn't get saved for five months because I had nothing to work with before that. But her change was, was an attraction unto me for the Lord. Scripture is true. It's always true. Further down in chapter 3 in 1 Peter, you husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. I don't understand stronger and weaker in the context of men and women, husbands and wives, but there must be some areas where I have a strength that my wife doesn't have. And, and understanding that she's less strong than me in some area causes me to have to understand and to extend to her grace. I have to honor my wife. And how sad to find out that, that there are these amazing, important, incredible needs. You know, maybe Krista and Ryan get pregnant again and, and, and we're praying and praying for, you know, that little baby in the womb because, you know, heaven forbid it would be miscarried or not born healthy. And my, ceiling, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling because I haven't honored my wife, as the scriptures have told me to. That God does not even hear my prayers, even though I have the Holy Spirit, even though I'm in Jesus in most ways. But if I dishonor my wife, I'm, I'm praying like this. There's no sound. There's nothing that reaches heaven. Okay, now, I'm gonna, we're going to go to trust. And we're going to use love as the pathway to trust, which really trust is a function of love anyway. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14. Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So when a man and a woman become one flesh, if, if it's outside of covenant relationship with God, I'm not sure that the, the right kind of love can exist that will hold that flesh together. The perfect bond of unity is love in your relationship in your marriage husbands in your marriage wives you have to love each other because outside of love there is no way for that flesh to be held together you will fall apart your marriage will be broken over 50 percent of marriages end in divorce even in the church maybe the same percentage is because we don't love love is the bond that holds the, the flesh to be one flesh together 1 Corinthians, the love scriptures, I'm sure you've all heard them, but God told me one time, I'm going to read them to you in just a second. Teresa and I were having a stinky. You know, we were not getting along for some reason, 
And I'm sure I was right. I was always right about whenever we had a problem. And the Holy Spirit convicted my heart. And he said, do you love your wife? And I said, I mean, you know, I'm not, I wish I could have this kind of conversation. I have impressions and thoughts. You know, that's, that's when I say God said. I, I wish that the skies would part. It's not, it's not quite that dramatic. But I, I, I sincerely believe that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And what I heard him asking was, do you love your wife? I said, of course I love my wife. And, and then he started to show me in my mind, I started hearing that love is patient and it's kind and it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. He said, are you being patient with your wife? And I'm like, well, not right this second. Are you being kind to your wife? I'm like, mm, you know, maybe not really good kind, but a little kind maybe. And, and honestly, what I clearly heard from the Lord was this. He says, you call that thing what you're calling love, whatever you want to call it. But love is something that you, it's, it's a verb. It's something that you do. It's an action thing. And when you're practicing love, it's always kind. It's always patient. It's never proud. So he said, whatever this thing is that you have with your wife right now, you call it what you want, but don't call it love because love doesn't act like that. And he convicted me to know that, you know, there is no time, there is no level of frustration or anger or not understanding that gives me permission to walk outside of love with my wife. And when I didn't love my wife, I promise you that the bind that was between us was really getting stressed. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Okay. I wish we had every husband and wife here. Um, you guys, I don't know if any of you are married. Anybody here that's single, you might be married someday. If, if you come at some point after you get married into the revelation that you're going to get here today, doesn't mean you can't have a great marriage, but you will struggle where you didn't need to struggle. If you're not married yet and you hope to be married someday, if God's going to give you a partner, a suitable, comparable helper, helper, then you should start to practice these things in your mind. You should ponder the scriptures that speak to these things so that you're prepared from the day you get married, not that you start preparing for marriage after you're married, okay? All right, so husbands, I want you to hold your hands out like this. If, you're, if, if your wife isn't next to you, you just have to pretend even more. You hold your hand out like this, okay? Husbands, you get your hands out like this. You have to do this now, okay? Now, wives, I want you to pretend like you're taking something and putting it in your husband's hand. Put it in there. Okay? Now, husbands, hold on. Be good with this. All right. Now, you're holding. What, what the wife has just given you is trust. Okay? You have to treat her trust as though it's the most precious possession in your life. You also have to treat her trust as it's the most fragile thing you'll ever, ever handle. Think of the picture that comes to my mind is you get one of these really expensive Christmas ornaments and it's glass. And that glass is so thin, it's like half of paper. When she gives you her, her trust, you have to hold it and you have to treasure it as though it's the most valuable thing that you have. It's fragile. If you let it break, if you don't honor and respect the trust that your wife gives you, because understand... From her perspective, she's on the back of the bike. 
the view never changes from the back of the bike. If you're driving that bike towards a cliff and she can't trust you, she's always looking over your shoulder and you're always angry. Why don't you trust me? Why are you looking over my shoulder? Don't you know I, I got the path? God's given me the vision. If you don't handle that trust properly, you are not worthy of the suitable, comparable helper that God has given you. And you need to know that and you, you need to believe it and you need to live it. Because if you break your wife's trust, it doesn't mean you can't get it back. But I'm telling you, it's tough. Because I've done it before. I've done stupid things. <laughs> Guy this Sunday said, everybody in the front and in the middle. Because I spit when I preach and I need somebody to spit on. You probably didn't even see the spray come out. But I've broken her trust in the past. And when you ride on the back of the bus, to give somebody back that trust is tough. Wives, you've got to, by faith, give your trust to your husband. You have to give it to him. You have to know that God has equipped him to be able to carry your trust in the right way, to treasure it and protect it. It's so important. It's so important. When a wife does not walk in her godly role as a suitable, comparable helper to her husband, who is her leader, it's more often than not because he's broken her trust. And it's so hard I'm trying to think of picture stories that you don't need to hear. I, I think I'm probably overplaying this thing, but you have to understand that you have to carry that trust like it's treasure, and it's very fragile. And ladies, it's hard to give your trust up because we're not perfect men, but you have to have faith in us to carry your trust properly. I can't get the picture out of my mind of, of, of two people walking or two people on that two-seated bicycle. When you're in the back seat, man, the view just never changes. All you can see is the leader. If you don't trust the leader, I can't imagine sitting in that second seat. Okay, so five things. This is the practical part. I mean, five things. There's, there might be 5,000 things. Here's five things that I promise you if you do them, you'll be very, very, very effective in your role as husband and man, as woman and wife. First one is you've got to pray together. Not just you're in the same place. You have to pray together, pray with each other. And one of your prayers every single day ought to go like this. Father, I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I pray that you will help me to be the man, the husband, and the Father that you've seen me to be, that in every one of those roles, in every one of those relationships, that I'll walk exactly the way you'd have me to walk. A godly man, a godly husband, a godly father, a godly woman, a godly wife, a godly mother. The second thing is you have to learn and practice humility. If you pray that prayer in front of your wife and you pray that prayer in front of your husband, that's a prayer of humility. It says, Lord, whatever it is that I think of me, I'm going to say no. And I ask that you make me into your image for the purposes of me loving my wife, loving my children. You have to practice humility. For three or four meetings at the men's meetings, we talked about humility. Anything that you would do that is outside of God's will, God's orders, God's commands is pride. It's you setting yourself up above God in that order. That's, that's disorder at that point. Humility says that 
whatever God tells me to do, I will humble my flesh, I will humble myself, and I will do that. In humility, you can have wonderful relationships. In pride, it's almost impossible. Third thing, most of the problems that we have, I don't know, I think this, I'm not sure it's true. It might, might not be true. You, you'll have to just decide for yourselves. But we have life experiences, right? We have um, parents that maybe didn't model godly relationships. So we have fortresses, strongholds in our mind that have to come down because it's what we've seen, it's what we know. It's not consistent with what God says. We also have hurts in our hearts that need to be healed. It's from that insecurity and from that fear oftentimes is what the devil can get a hold of and can influence us into behavior that's contrary to biblical teaching. So, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, then you have the power to change inside of you. You have brothers and sisters, one body, knit together, the church. Be humble. Confess your issues. Ask for prayer. Don't drag that stuff around with you. Oh my gosh, it's a boat anchor. It's, it's, it's poison in your lives. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you, Lord, what is it about my heart that causes me to get embittered with my wife just because I don't understand? That's not you. I don't want it to be me. Heal me, Lord. Heal me, Lord. Deliver me from these things. And pray those prayers so that you can be whole and complete, not insecure and fearful. Fourth thing, you must abide in Christ. John chapter 15 and verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot, that's us, right? We're the branch. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. If you are not abiding in Jesus, you can bear no fruit. Humility is a fruit of abiding in Jesus. Obedience is a fruit of abiding in Jesus. 1 John I didn't have this in my notes, but it's in 1 John. It's all on the left-hand page of my Bible. There's three things. It's, it's obedience, it's love, and it's, I forget what the third thing is, where, where John is actually teaching us. The Holy Spirit through John is teaching us how to abide. That's a good homework assignment for you. Look in 1 John, you'll see it. One, two, three things. It, it teaches how you abide, how you stay in Christ so that you have what you need to be able to produce the fruit of being a godly man or a godly wife. Fifth thing is, you have to consciously practice, you have to consciously practice 1 Corinthians 13 love. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, right? You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have to be constantly, constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to, if you've got your tongues, you need to be praying in your tongues all the time to be filled, always filled with the Holy Spirit and practice 1 Corinthians 13. Practice patience. Practice kindness. Practice not being proud or rude. Practice, and this is a tough one, not remembering that the thing that's happening today happened five times already, and you want to take the five of them, push them together, and create this big mountain of hate. Consciously practice 1 Corinthians 13 love. It's something that you do. It's, it's action. Okay, last thing before we close. Don't start just yet. I, we got a video that we want you to watch. You might need to bring... Oh, it looks like the lights are down. That's good. Um, this video, is, it's, a, it's a metaphor. It's a, it's a picture of what godly relationship can look like. We're going to play it, and then I'm going to talk about it. Go ahead, um, Tristan.
we did this 10 times before church. It never skipped once. Maybe just hit the stop and start it again. See what happens. Go ahead and mute the sound and just let the video continue to loop. Can you see this? Here's what's happening here. There's a man and a woman. In the context of, of marriage, they're flowing perfectly together. They're like one flesh. It's like one four-legged, four-armed, dancing, beautifully flowing, harmonious person together. When, she, when, when, when he decides to take her and he's going to dip her down. She doesn't necessarily know that's coming. It's not choreographed. Okay, three, two, one, he's going to dip me, get ready. No, but when he does, she follows. And when he bends her over and has to hold her with her strength, she has to trust that he's not going to drop her and bounce her head off the floor. This is what marriage should look like, a husband and a wife together, flowing this way, the Holy Spirit, Jesus leading the man, the man leading the woman. They go and they do the things that God has them to do in this beautiful, harmonious dance of love. For us to dance like this, the first thing we have to do is we have to know how to dance, right? We're learning how to dance because we read the scriptures in 1 Peter, and we read the Colossians scriptures, and we read the Ephesians scriptures. The Bible teaches us how to dance. It teaches us this flowing, beautiful, practical way to have a relationship for a man with a woman and a woman with a man. If we're going to be like this, we have to learn to dance. If you don't read your Bible, you're going to be stepping all over each other. Your flesh is going to come apart when it's supposed to be together. When you dip, you're going to bang your head off the floor. And You just have to read the Bible. You have to be pressed into God's word if you're going to dance this dance for the Lord, for your husband, for your wife. Second thing is, as you learn how to dance, you're going to have this thing called flesh, Right? And it's going to want you to dance a different dance. You have to know the steps. If husband is dancing the waltz and wife is dancing the foxtrot, it doesn't look like this. You have to dance the same dance. You have to understand the steps of the dance so that you can flow in this beautiful harmony that God's given us. And the third thing is somebody's got to lead, somebody's got to follow. Our culture, you know, we had women's liberation back in the 60s, I guess, in the 70s, and, you know, ladies burned their bras and all this crazy stuff. A man has a role. He has to walk in that role. He has to be following Jesus. Ladies, he's not this guy with his own GPS. He, his GPS has to be completely, his compass has to be true north to Jesus. So, you don't have to worry about sitting in the chair where you can't see the big picture because God hasn't given him the big picture. God sees the big picture. He sees everything. There are times when a man has to be obedient 
to what he doesn't understand and his course set to Jesus, and he has to trust by faith because he can't see past Jesus in front of him. Okay. I think I'm just being told to shut up. You can't say things 20 times and make it any different. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Husbands got to lead. Wives got to follow. There's no dishonor in the position of following. There's no greater honor in the position of leading. It's the role that God gave you. It's a hammer driving a nail, not a screwdriver driving a nail. It's both of us walking in that role. For those of you that aren't married yet, read these scriptures. Let them sow into you so that when you get married, look for somebody that understands these scriptures if you're going to get married. And, and go and live that life from the first day, from the very first day. Men got to lead, men got to be men, and ladies got to be ladies. So God gives his vision to my husband for us to follow. And I don't always know exactly what it looks like or where it's taking us or what it's focused on, but I have God's word, and I read it, and I know God's heart. So I am able to recognize I'm able to recognize Jesus in my husband and see Jesus in his heart. As one with my husband, I can now walk securely as a capable Suitable helper in my role with my husband in our mission for God. Because my trust is in his faithfulness and his faithful seeking of God and Jesus as Lord as the one that he follows. We purposely did the message this way because as I sit back here he's speaking we're speaking as one those of you who are not married those of you who are divorced never forget that you're the bride of Christ amen so though you're not married at the moment, this message does not, you're not exempt from this message. You are the bride. You are being prepared for your husband. Um, as one, as one flesh. So, so JB, maybe we could sing the chorus of that last song a little bit. Stand up if you would. 
know, if you're, stand. if you're a single person, lay hands on yourself. If you're so blessed to have your husband or wife with you, hold each other's hand. And as we're singing, just let's just pray for one another. Lord, thank you so much that we learn in, in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1 that you haven't given us, us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And that we'll walk in that power and we'll walk in that love and, and in the wisdom and the good judgment that comes from the sound mind that we have from your spirit, Lord. We give you permission, Holy Spirit, to come and heal us, to expose to us those things that are, that are ungodly, the fortresses and the strongholds in our minds, that they would be torn down. We just rebuke fear right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Insecurity broken. We are absolutely secure in you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That each and every one of us will be salt and light, a city on a hill, a marriage that's a city on a hill, that's attractive, Lord, that, that you might get glory from your people. And those that don't know you will know your disciples by our love one for another. Thank you, Lord. Change us. Make us to be like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we dismiss today, let me just tell you that Jesus taught that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I want to encourage you that you have everything you need to be a godly man, a godly woman, a godly husband, a godly wife. Don't let any lie of the devil, don't let any thought that comes into your mind that would tell you otherwise have any place there. You have everything that you need. You're doing a great job. You're going to continue to do a better job. Abide in the Lord and know that he has a great plan for you. He has a great plan for your marriage and that your children are blessed. All right? All right. Well, I hope to see you guys tonight for prayer, 6 to 7.30 over at the church. We love you all so much. God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday.